good to see everyone here on this uh, gorgeous weekend, and uh, hope you have happy holiday plans, a good Thanksgiving week. Um, if you're traveling or if you have uh, people traveling in to be with you, safe travels all around. And if you're still uh, looking for a party on Thanksgiving, I would remind you that we're having one here at the church, uh, 12 to 3, a big potluck dinner that you are all invited uh, to be at. So more information on that on the website. Today I want to start by reading a passage out of the Gospel of Luke, the 19th chapter. I'm going to read verses uh, 1 through 10. Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, beginning with verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Uh, Today, as promised, I am going to challenge you to give more of your money away to the church and to the poor. So now would be an appropriate time to sit back, fold your arms, and strike a defensive posture. Uh, I say as promised because uh, a year ago, I preached two messages on money and on giving and laid out uh, more than a dozen principles, and I challenged you at that point to figure out how much money you were giving to the church and to increase it by 1%, and I said I would be back again in a year to challenge you to do it again. If you were here, you may remember that there were a, a number of points that I made, and they're worthy of a quick review. I started by saying, everything everywhere belongs to God. He is the creator, and he maintains all rights. Number two, we are stewards temporarily entrusted with some of his resources. And three, we are expected to use those resources to invest those resources, to disperse those resources according to his plan and purpose. Number four, we are to store up treasures in heaven, where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves cannot break in and steal. Number five, God gave first. And God gave more. Right? Uh, while we were yet sinners, while we were estranged from God, while God could expect nothing really good from us, He sent his son, the ultimate sacrifice that anyone could make, to send someone they love to their death on our behalf. Number six, I said, additionally, we need to realize that money is more than slips of paper. 
Money is a power. It's a force. And we are advised not just to pay attention to how we earn it and to what we do with it, but also to what money does to us. Because few can handle it without being corrupted in certain ways. Number seven, I pointed out that money cannot buy happiness. Number eight, I said that our heart follows our money. There is a principle in which our money follows our heart, but there is also a corollary in which our heart follows our money. Number nine, I said we have all that we need to do everything that is expected of us. And here I was particularly focused on ending extreme poverty. I I argued that the amount of resources that would be required for us to raise the bottom half of the planet to $3 a day, which would effectively eliminate hunger, extreme hunger, It would provide education to the 375 million children that are receiving none, and it would provide clean water to the 3.8 billion people who cannot depend upon the water that they have. The amount of of money required to do that is $40 billion a year for 10 years. And I said, we've got that. The, the, The global church has plenty of resources to end extreme poverty now. It wouldn't even take us all giving at 10%, which I will argue is the baseline. It would only take us giving at 5%. We could end extreme poverty today. There's more to it than just money. It's not quite that simple. But we've got all the resources that we need to to end extreme poverty right now. Number 10, I said that we should give first, save second, and live on the rest. Give save, live on the rest. No debt. We should not go into debt. We should give first, save second, and live on the rest. Number 11, I said most Christians give too little, and I argued that 10% would be a baseline. Number 12, I said we are the rich. If you have a refrigerator that holds food and a closet that has clothes, then you're among the rich. I directed you to the Global Wealth Index, a website where you could type in your annual salary and see where you fit on the the Fortune uh, Top 7 Billion list. It just goes down through all 7 billion, not based on your assets, but based on your your annual salary. And if you make $25,000 a year, you make more money than 98% point six percent of the people on the planet if you make twenty five thousand dollars a year you make more than ninety eight point six percent of the people on the planet if you make fifty thousand dollars a year you make more than ninety nine percent of the people and if you make two hundred thousand dollars a year you make more than ninety nine point nine nine percent of the people we are the wealthy. We don't think we're the wealthy because there's more stuff we would like to have. And we look around and see people that have more stuff than we have. But by any objective global standard, we are the rich. 
The 13th point is that we are expected to address the needs of others, especially the poor, to be the hands and feet of God. That means live below our means in order to help other people. And the final point that I made is that everyone wins if we are more generous, starting with us. Everybody wins if you are more generous, starting with you. Those were the 14 points that I made. I set that in front of you, and I said, look, whatever you're giving, and I was speaking in particular giving to the, to the local church, but beyond that, I said, whatever you're giving, figure it out and give 1% more. And I promised, as I said, that I would be back and suggest that you do it all again. So I am here, as promised, suggesting that you give 1% more of your income to the church and more besides. Now, I'm not doing this because we have fallen behind in our budget. If you pay attention to the numbers that we put in the bulletin, yes, we, we finished last year ahead, and then we immediately started behind. I pay attention to those numbers. This has nothing to do with those numbers. Um, this is a message I said I would preach a year ago. I come to deliver this message for three primary reasons. The first reason is because we have the opportunity to be the hands and feet of God. We have the opportunity to make a material difference in the lives of other people. We can contribute to human flourishing. We can help bring the, the shalom of God. We have that ability. We absolutely can fundamentally be a part of changing the 10 miles around this steeple and beyond that. And, and I know that many of you get that and you are driven by that. You are motivated by that. We bring, frequently bring, bring needs uh, in front of you, local needs for ministries and others, and, and it's fun to see how people respond. So I went and asked this week, I said, can you give me the statistics of of what has happened recently in terms of giving at Christ Church. And I heard that, um, that you have brought hundreds of coats, winter coats, for the international students at Trinity and for the Love Inc. Closed Closet at Journey Church. 400 boxes for Operation Christmas Child and Samaritan Purse. We, uh, we fully supplied 50 classrooms with school supplies in North Chicago, provided starter kits for 200 families uh, starting households. Uh, you provided more than $150,000 to St. James so far this year, which is dispersed to those in need, primarily in this congregation, but outside it as well. We packed 108,800 meals for kids through Feed My Starving Children. Uh, we've sent out work teams to do practical work in, in, the, in the 10 miles around here, in particular for single moms and for widows, also did a lot of work at a church, Trinity AME Church in North Chicago. We have, um, we have sent teams to do ministry work in the Dominican Republic, Uganda, Ghana, India, Ecuador, Memphis, and into Chicago. Raised money for um, Haiti, for a school there, raised money for uh, orphans and widows in Nigeria, bought a minivan for rope, uh, helped rebuild classrooms in India, uh, secured a new building uh, in Libertyville, helped to contribute to secure a new building for li in Libertyville for Feed My Starving Children. Almost all of this is in addition to the more than million dollars that this church has given away in the last uh, few years just through the, the local budget that we have. 
Um, and this doesn't include some of the new things that are going on right now, the, the gifts to, to the Sidewalk Sunday School program that was brought up last week, and I'm sure the gifts that will be given for these 250 kids that are sleeping on the floor here uh, in, in this area. So we bring needs in front of you, and the church responds, and that's really fun, and it's good, and it's the right thing to do. I come before you to say that I really believe we can do even more. And that we should do even more. And that it's a privilege to do even more. And it's the right thing to do even more. And so the first reason I'm here is because I believe we can really, fundamentally, materially change the lives of lots of people in the 10 miles around this steeple. The second reason that I come before you to say this is because this is my assignment. This is part of the job that I have as a pastor. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul is instructing Timothy who is starting as a pastor. And he writes to Timothy and he says this, Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Timothy. Command those who are rich in this present age to be rich in good deeds, to be generous. Right? This is part of my assignment. I don't get to decide what gets communicated. I get to, to figure out how to make the message as, as persuasive as I can in this context. But the message, I don't get to, I don't get to decide what the message is. That's not the job of a preacher. I am to proclaim the good news, as are you. So I am to make it really clear that God loves you. God has reached out to you. There is a free gift of eternal life. Christianity is not living a good life so that God will have favor on you. It is a free gift. It's not this I do, it's this he did. You can be embraced by God. You can gain eternal life. I get to make that great message and make that as clear as I can over and over. And I'm instructed to teach this book, the principles that we find in this book. And that calls us not in an effort to win God's favor, but because of God's great grace and mercy, that calls us to be gracious to other people, to be merciful, to be kind, to be rich in good deeds. So we proclaim the good news and engage in good works. A couple weeks ago, somebody came up to me and said, um, you know, you are really brave. I said, oh, yeah, you think so? Why do you think I'm brave? And they go, well, because you stand up in front of people and you tell them that they're broken and sinful and selfish and full of pride. And that takes a lot of guts. They said, well, you know... Um, it's not really the way it feels. I said, I'd love for you to, you know, sort of think of me as a James Bond-like character, full of bravery, but it's actually a little bit of the opposite. I said, 
uh, I have an assignment. And I'm accountable to God for this assignment. And it's a fear of getting the assignment wrong. So the fact that people don't like parts of the message, I, I, I mean, hey, I don't like parts of the message. So that I can't really be bothered by. That's, that's not the point. The point is God has revealed the way things actually are and how we are to live. And my assignment is to make it as clear as possible. And so I come before you to say you should give more money away because I am commanded to say to the rich that we should be rich in good deeds, generous. And I fully believe that doing that is in your best interest. We're going to live forever. Store up your treasures in heaven. Store up your treasures in heaven. Right? You cannot take it with you. Be rich in good deeds. Live below your means. Care for other people. That is our assignment. The third reason I talk about money and I challenge you to give more money away is because there is, an, there is a very direct link between our relationship with God and our relationship with money. Money is one of the most spiritual topics of all. Jesus spoke more about money than he spoke about just about anything else. Not because he was looking for money for himself. He was a single guy who didn't have a place to take care of. And when he died, had one change of clothes. Period. He wasn't married. He didn't have children. So no mortgage no college tuition to save for. He didn't have a, you know, a yard to take care of. He didn't have any of that. He lived as simply as anybody could live. He was not looking for money for himself. What he was saying is, money is a spiritual topic. And to the extent that you cannot open your billfold, you really don't open your heart to God. And so recognizing that. Recognizing the intimate connection between our money and our spiritual vitality, I come before you and say, we need to be more generous. So, in light of that, I am going to set uh, before you a ladder, the generosity ladder, which I ran across um, in the last couple weeks as I was preparing for this message. It's not my idea. It was in an article that that I stumbled upon. I would be quick to give credit to whoever uh, idea it is, except the article did not list who the author was. So this is not mine, but um, I think there's some great stuff here. And what I'm going to do, we'll walk, I know you can't read these yet. They'll become clear in a moment. What I want to do is, is challenge you to do two things this morning. One is to figure out where you are on the ladder. There's, there's seven steps. There's sort of a baseline and then seven rungs. So where are you standing now? And then my challenge is to take a step up, to move higher up the generosity ladder. So we have uh, at the baseline, the floor, the, the, the bottom, is, um, is the state of being non-generous. Okay, so this is, uh, this is not many people here, but people who are here would say, uh, what's mine is mine, 
As a matter of fact, what's yours is mine. I'm not interested in sharing any of my stuff. And um, just think, you know, Ebenezer Scrooge, this is, this is a completely, the, the state of being non-generous. The step up from that, so the first rung of the ladder, is the self-promotional step. This is people, um, this describes people who give to look good. You might remember in Luke chapter 9, Jesus talks about the tax collector and the Pharisee. And uh, they're both in the temple and they're praying. And the tax collector, and tax collectors were bad people. Okay? So when the Romans took over an area, their method of collecting money from the people was to basically sell tax-collecting franchises to those people who would, would be traitors to their own people. So the, the highest bidder, so in Judea, these are, these are Jews that were bidding on this. In other parts of the country, other parts of the Roman Empire, be other people. But here in, in Israel and Judea, it would be Jews who were, were bidding. And the, the one who said, I will give the most money to Rome for this area, got the contract. And then their salary was whatever money they could collect beyond what they had promised to give to the Romans. You may not like the current tax code. It could be worse. So it was worse there. The, the tax collectors were considered to be traitors to their people, which is why it was so shocking that Jesus is going to go to Zacchaeus' house. Zacchaeus is a tax collector. And Jesus says, today I'm going to go be with you. And the people are horrified. They hate Zacchaeus. Okay? So there's a tax collector and a Pharisee. And the tax collector stands back and, and he, he cries out, I am a sinner, God have mercy on me. And the Pharisee is, is there saying, Lord God, I'm thankful that I'm not like other people. Right? I, I fast two times a week and I give 10% of my money. It's, it's not bad. Right? The, the problem here is he's saying this out loud. Right? I mean, he's, he's that interested in other people thinking good of him. So some people give money in order that people will look favorably on them. It's better than being Ebenezer Scrooge, but only just. The next step up the ladder is the self-appeasing phase. You give so that you don't feel guilty. Somebody asks for money, and you just, you, you just feel, you feel guilty that you're not giving, so you give not to help them, but you give so that you don't feel guilty. That's, a, that's the next step up the ladder. The step that comes after that is the doing good phase. And doing good is good, uh, but it's a little bit whimsical uh, as, it's, as it's being used here. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the Apostle Paul uh, is encouraging the Corinthians to be generous. And he says this to them in verse 10. Here's my advice about generosity and what's best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now, finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it. In my 
30 years of being in ministry and being on boards of nonprofit groups of various sizes and raising mon money for all of these groups, I've written lots of letters to donors. This to me is code for fulfill your pledge, right? You made a pledge. You were motivated. Someone put a need in front of you. You felt good about it. Please complete the good that you started. So there are people who are giving based on sort of what's in front of them at the moment and what, what they're feeling motivated by. It's not, a, it's not a philosophy. It's not well thought out. It's not part of their life. The next phase up is uh, the safe phase. A little bit more thoughtful than this. On Genesis chapter 28, we have a situation where Jacob uh, tries to strike a deal with God. God, if you will bring me back to this place safe, you'll provide for me my security, the food I need. I go on this long trip, I come back safe. If that happens, then I will give 10% of my resources to you. Now, Jacob is a pretty deeply flawed guy, um, and so we, we sort of hold this up as progress for Jacob. It's not the right, but first of all, we don't really have the ability to bargain with God. God doesn't need anything that we have. He's completely, perfectly complete. God isn't going, oh, well, I could get 10% of Jacob's stuff if I just do, do this, right? I mean, th there's no motivation there. For God. That's not even the way he would think about it. But we see Jacob trying to move in the right direction. Up from safe is percentage giving. If you've been here, I don't speak often about money, but one of the talks that I have given four or five times in the ten years that I've been pastor is to challenge people to give based on a percentage of their income, and I have set forward the, the tithe, this principle developed in the Old Testament uh, of giving the 10% of your income uh, to the church, doing the, the first 10% as an acknowledgement that God owns 100%. And I am I'm aware that the, the tithe is not carried forward really in any specific sense into the, into the New Testament. It's not very developed there, and so some people have said it doesn't apply. And I have said, Look, if you want to look for a number in the New Testament, you don't like the Old Testament number, uh, you should know that the New Testament number will be higher. So you're going to go back to the Old Testament number. And, and uh, our practice has been that we give at least 10% to the church, and we give more beyond that, and we have tried to go up every year. Just because we can. Because it's the, it's the right thing to do. And we're going to live forever. And people have greater needs than we do. And so I would submit that this is a great starting point. And then um, the, the second to the highest, the penultimate rung on this ladder is sacrificial giving. This is highlighted by two widows. In, uh, in 1 Kings chapter 17... We have the story that is told by, um, uh, about Elijah goes to the widow in Zarephath and, she, and he asks her for food and she says, well that's interesting because I was about to go into my home and take the last bit of grain and the last bit of oil and fix the last loaf, uh, divide it with my son and then we'll eat that and then we'll die. 
this is it. This is all we have. And um, Elijah says, well, will you share it with me? And she says, okay, I will. And, of course, God will provide for her going beyond that. But we have an example of a great, extreme sacrificial giving. We also have a similar thing that is told uh, in, uh, in the book of Luke, in Luke chapter 21. And I'm digging around in my pocket to see if I, if I can find the widow's mite that I bought for uh, $30 in Israel the last time I was there. Um, this is worth less than a penny, and, um, and I will just leave it, um, I'll leave it with David here, so if you want to come up and see the widow's mite, um, she gave, this widow gave, it was a sacrificial gift on her part. It wasn't the m- amount that Jesus was interested in, it was that she gave sacrificially. And so we have, um, we have that example. And then finally, the highest level is sort of a kingdom approach to living. And this is described in Acts chapter 2 and 4, the early church where people are sharing things in common. Uh, And then additionally in 2 Corinthians, talking about the Macedonian church giving out of their extreme poverty. Now, please, again, the the New Testament does not teach socialism. Uh, There's private property, people own homes. We're not suggesting otherwise. But people were remarkably open-handed with what they had and just understood that at the end of the day, it's all God's and we need to be good stewards with what is temporarily entrusted to us. So here's the point. You're somewhere on this generosity ladder and you are being challenged to go up another rung. To, to, to look at, at what you're giving and to think about how you might give more away. And I, I encourage you to do this, not to go to the very top, right? This, isn't, this is the generosity ladder, not the generosity elevator. I, I've seen some people have a Zacchaeus transformation a couple times in my life, but what I mostly see are people learning to give more, to trust God, to keep ramping it up. And so that's my encouragement to you. That's my motivation uh, to you, is to take another step up the rung. I believe that, um, that this is in your best interest and that you will never, in light of eternity, regret the money you give to the kingdom of God and to the poor. Generosity is a spiritual issue more than it's a financial one. Acts of charity and compassion are expected from people who are growing in the likeness of Christ. God does not need your money or mine. He is after our heart. And Christian living is generous living. Generous actions are a pathway to greater intimacy with God. So I encourage you to be generous. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great generosity to us in sending your Son. We thank you for the many blessings that are ours, the material blessings that we enjoy. Help us to be increasingly thankful for them. And um, we pray, um, I pray, Father, that, that we could see 
the assets we have in light of eternity more because of uh, the teaching of your word and that uh, we will be as people and as a church increasingly generous to see others make it and flourish to see more of your kingdom values spread to your glory we pray this in christ's name amen